Are you ready to give your employees and customers smooth, secure digital experiences? Then you need Ping Identity as an identity security pioneer. Ping champions your unique identity so your employees can be productive rock stars and your customers can engage with your brand wherever and however they want with lovable digital experiences. I'm the chief identity champion and I'm here to help. Visit pingidentity.com today. This episode of Energy Matters is sponsored by Arnold Golden and Gregory. Welcome to Energy Matters, a show about how you can save money on your utility bills, use technology wisely, and live a more sustainable lifestyle. Here's your host, veteran energy regulator and clean energy expert, Commissioner Tim Eccles. Thank you, Scott Slade. It doesn't matter where you're finding yourself today. It's always a great day to be saving money on your bills and using technology and living a more sustainable life. I'm Tim Eccles, the host of Energy Matters. I serve on the Georgia Public Service Commission. In studio with me today for the full show is Don Francis, an icon in electric vehicle transportation. Don, welcome to the show. Glad to be here, Tim. Man, you've been around a long time uh, in terms of energy, power company. You started working for the power company when? How long ago was that? 1978. Uh, I did 31 years at Georgia Power after 10 at General Motors preceding that. Yeah, what did you do for General Motors? Uh, My primary focus was on emission control technology, the testing of the vehicles for certification by uh, EPA. Now, the catalytic converter, didn't it go on around 72, 73? Yes. When, when was that? In the early 70s, when it first came out in uh, primarily, I think, GM was the developer of the technology, as I recall. Uh, and some of the, it was a while before all the manufacturers converted to it, but by about 75, 76, everybody was using catalytic converters. So... How, how did that come about? I mean, because I, I, I'm not remembering, and I was like 12 or 13 years old. I didn't own a car at the time, and even my first car that I got was a 1967 Chevrolet pickup that did not have a catalytic converter. Was it a controversial move? What what was kind of the, the scuttlebutt around the, the auto world? Yeah, well, it was a, you know adding a, quite a bit of cost to the vehicles, and it was all driven by what California started doing in about 1966 when they started paying attention to uh, reducing the emissions from vehicles because of the smog problem they were having, particularly in the L.A. Basin. Uh, as they worked on the technology, they eventually found that with this technology, with the catalytic converters, they could really start to significantly reduce emissions from vehicles and maintain performance because that was one of the problems with some of the early things that were done between 66 and middle 70s is it cost a lot of performance and increased fuel economy just went was terrible it got down to 10 11 12 miles per gallon as a result so when you put that gizmo on those early vehicles did it uh, did it kind of use, as we say in the power business, station power? Did it? Did it kind of? Uh, I mean, what What was the effect of reducing the the horsepower? How did that happen? Well, they were doing a lot of things like EGR, exhaust gas recirculation, where they were mixing exhaust gas back into the combustion chamber, which was reducing emissions but taking away a lot of performance. Uh, the catalytic converter allowed them to, re, you know, reduce that reduction in performance and start increasing performance. Yet you had all the back pressure of the catalytic because it was like in the exhaust stream and was in, causing the engines to, lack of a better word, choke on their emissions on their tech, on their exhaust. Uh, the other issue with the catalytic converter it also required that everybody move away from leaded fuel. To unleaded fuel because the leaded fuel was contaminating the catalyst. Wow! So that's when the whole leaded unleaded thing came into Correct. existence. Correct, that, and that's where all that came from because they discovered pretty quickly that the leaded fuel was causing the catalyst to uh, be damaged to the point where it didn't work anymore. Wow! But what a difference a catalytic converter. And we have we have essentially catalytic converters on our coal plants now. It's oh a, yeah, yeah. We've a, same technology. Same technology, just a much bigger bigger scale. But I, I remember pumping gas as a boy. I guess this is when you know little kids could get out and pump. But I, I remember twenty nine cent a gallon. 
we, oh, yeah. we pump gas. That was for, I guess, regular leaded. Regular leaded. Um, I grew up in middle Kansas, and I can remember paying less than 20 cents a gallon for fuel because I've been driving since I was 14. In Kansas, they allow day, uh, kids to have licenses at 14 because they work on the farm, drive the trucks into the grain, the silos. Wow. So I've been driving since I was 14, and gas was under 20 cents a gallon. You know, to kind of put this into a classic car perspective, uh, so if the catalytic converters came out, 72, 73, you know, the Camaro was introduced 1967. Right. Mustang, 64 and a half. It came out, I guess, in 72 or 73, we had you know an iteration of the camaro that was the muscle car of the day i guess we had the gto you remember the the pontiac gto oh, correct uh we had um i, I guess we, did we have that little like plymouth barracuda not not the barracuda but was it the roadrunner or what well, the, the roadrunner was like the full-size car yeah uh the the barracuda was the pony car yeah. Which is the same as the Camaro, the Firebird, the Mustang. They're all called pony cars, again, because of Mustang, yes. which originally uh, developed that market. The other thing that happened during this period of time is about 1970, most gearheads like me consider that to be the peak of performance. Beyond that, you get into 71, they started doing uh, low compression engines. They started adding catalytic converters and the performance dropped off significantly. I was trading emails last night with a friend uh, about 67 GTOs, which everybody considers one of the best that were ever made. Wow. And you think about what was happening, I guess, in Germany at the time. I I remember uh, when I graduated from high school, there was a a Porsche 911 Carrera that I was just crazy about. And I've never never been able to get one of those. Uh, And the the BMWs really began – to diversify at that point the three the five the six the seven series uh and those really really took off but all of those cars had catalytic converters yes. at that time didn't yes. they the, the the automobile engineers over the years have learned how to maximize the performance using emission control technologies and and they bit by bit kind of recovered the performance that they lost I guess 40 years ago now, when the when the first emission control technology uh, first appeared on vehicles. You know, a lot of our listeners know me to be an electric car aficionado, which you are as well. But, I mean, you and I are both gearheads from way back. And my family owned Bishop Brothers Auto Auction, which Cox Enterprises, who owns these microphones, eventually bought from us. But I owned a car cleanup shop there. And... You know, we would we would have a lot of contracts with car dealerships around Atlanta for cars that they could not retail on their used car lot. You know, these are cars, say, with higher mileage that they would then send them to our auction in bulk. Uh, actually, we would have a crew that would go get them and then we would sell those cars kind of before our our auction started on Saturday night. And uh, I, I remember getting um, a 74 Nova out of that batch uh, that I had that had a, a 350 engine in it, it would fly. I got a 78 Thunderbird out of that batch that was red and black with T-tops that I had when I was here at UGA that was this incredible bulldog machine. It was a giant car, that oh, Thunderbird. Oh, yeah, they were huge. Yeah, and I think it had a 400. I think it had the 400 engine in it. What, what were some of the cars that you owned growing up? You remember uh, any of those? Oh yeah, yeah. I had four Corvettes over my lifetime. At least two 442s. I worked for Oldsmobile uh, as a co-op student in, in Michigan. Had a couple of those. Uh, the, the Corvettes, you know, always had the other. What uh, year models were your vets? Do you remember? Uh yeah. I had my first one was a '67. Uh, then I had a '70. A 72 and a 75. The 75 was the last one wow. I ever had. Now, that's, that that 67, did you say? Did that have that split window on the back? No, or? that was 63 only. 63 yeah, was I had split uh, window. 67 coupe with the side pipes. It was a marble maroon. That was that yeah. red color. It was a 427. 
Yeah. Uh, so for all, it was for huge all, for all you guys, gals out there going, what 63, 67? What's that? We're going to pop up on the Matters Radio feed a bunch of these classic car photos. Okay, I'm, I'm going to pop them up there. I'm not even going to put my 1967 Chevrolet pickup up there, a before and after before we converted it because uh, I had a very fine paint job put on that car. I mean, it was, I was only 16. But my dad helped me, and we got a very fine paint job. We split the manifold on it, put these glass packs, you know, made all kind of noise, uh, and uh, and, and special pinstriping, a special kind of roll and pleat seat, had a little, one of those, uh, what do they call those little covers you would snap on the back, Carnuva, I forget, Carnuba, I forget what they call them. Oh, yeah, yes. Those those little covers, had that little cover on the back. I mean, it was, man, it was my pride and joy. I called it the blue flame. (laughs) (laughs) It sounds awesome. I wish I had seen it. Yeah. So you had the Corvettes. You had the 440, the 442s. What engine did the 442 have in it? Uh, Most of them had 400 cube engines. Uh Uh Uh, They started out with 350s, but the the two that I own both had 400 cubic engines. And, man, those cars, they were were heavy. Yes. But as long as you were going in a straight line. They would go really, really good yeah. in a straight line, yeah. and yeah. they didn't stop real well or corner real well, yeah. but they would really go good in the so, straight line. So now you've got this Tesla Model 3. Yes. Right? It's, it's, it's red. By the way, your headlight's out. Well, your left headlight's out. Uh, 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 to, you were following me coming over. i to watch. Your, your uh, take out. a look at that. Thank yeah. you. So how, how do you, as you think about your Tesla 3 compared to your Corvettes and your uh, and, and your um your your full 42s what what's some of the emotion that you that that you have driving that that tesla model 3 it's fast isn't it it is incredibly fast it is probably the fastest car i've ever owned and i've owned some pretty quick cars in my life uh but the other thing that's amazing to me is how smooth it is how easy it is to drive it is you know very relaxing there's there's not a lot of noise uh there's not a lot of drama to drive the car uh, I'm always amazed as a car guy how good this thing is. Wow. Well, y- y'all stick around. We're we're, we're going to make the transition from 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 muscle car to electric car. We're going to talk about ten insights for EVs in the auto market that Cox Automotive has done. Stick around. I'm Tim Eccles. You're listening to Energy Matters. The electric car revolution is coming, and the choices are growing. Gem cars are everywhere. You've seen these low-speed electric vehicles on college campuses, downtown Atlanta streets, and resort islands like St. Simons and Jekyll. Gem cars are street legal, equipped with seatbelts, headlights, and a tag, and can operate on roads with speed limits of 35 miles per hour or less. If you want to know more about these electric cars and trucks, six-passenger shuttles, mobile repair service, or full vehicle wraps, go to gemcarservice.com. That's G-E-M, carservice.com. John, one of our sponsors for the show, Row Insulating Company, is doing a great job in and around Athens, being able to do a lot of what we talk about every single week on the show. You get, every time it gets cold, every time it gets hot, it's always a, it's always that attic that's the problem. And uh, you could tack windows, and that's going to cost you a cold fortune. It is insulation that can solve the problem. Hey, if you want to get this fixed, call 706-795-2854. That's 706-795-2854. Row Insulating Company. Row. Hey, we're back. I'm Tim Eccles. I'm the host of Energy Matters, and I'm also a public service commissioner here in the state. My guest today, Don Francis. Don, I guess we'll give some of your credentials. We talked classic cars in the last segment, but you are working now with Clipper Creek, a company that sells EV chargers, right? Correct. Is that your primary job? Yeah, now it is. Yeah. used to have three part-time full-time jobs and i'm down to just one yeah you got you got the job. one so previously you were the director of clean cities georgia correct yeah for right. 10 years i was the coordinator here for that program in yeah. the state of georgia and before that you worked for georgia power correct i yeah. spent about half of my career in their electric transportation group it was put together in 1992 uh, so my experience goes back more than 25 years now. yeah and before that you worked for general motors yes yeah where'd you go to college at I went to a place called General Motors Institute. At the time I went there, the corporation, GM, was had their own college for engineers. Wow. Today that is known as Kettering. Kettering. Uh, you know, Boss Kettering was yeah. the first chief engineer at General Motors. Yeah. And so 
they have a, it's a co-op, five-year co-op program. And at the end, you end up with an engineering degree and a job. Wow. uh, And no debt because you're working 24 weeks out of the year for five years. Man. And they still do that same model? Yes. Wow. That's incredible. You know, we we were talking about the old cars that you had had, the four Corvettes, the two 442s that you had, muscle cars. And uh, and, and the cars that, that I had, and I got my cars at the auction because our family owned the auction, right? So we always had good relationships with dealers, and no dealer wants to do the auctioneer wrong, right? Uh, they're too dependent upon that auctioneer liking them and treating them right. Um, and then I, I started working for a new car dealership and worked there for five years before uh, going into nonprofit work and then eventually running for the commission. But you know, even at the car dealership, you know, that classic model of going into the dealership, taking the test drive, sitting down with a salesman, making the deal, financing the car. I mean, I spent the first five years after college doing that, but times have really changed with the, with these electric cars that really don't use a dealer network. Tell me about your experience of buying that Tesla. Well, it's, it's all done online, and that was the difference for me is, of course, I was one of those people that went down on the reveal date and put down the $1,000 deposit. I'm trying to remember how much it on was. On the Model 3. On the Model 3, which I knew I wasn't going to get for a couple of years. But You stood in line for a couple of years to get the car. Yeah. Right? yeah. yeah. And, but what's different about the Tesla model is you really do everything online. You pick out your colors, your options, everything that you want to do. Uh, when it comes time for the delivery, they notify you that the car's coming in. Uh, then you go to a delivery center. Uh, and why you need to go there is it's, it's a complicated car at first because you have all of these screens that you have to go through. Think of all like a, a tablet that you go through and pick how the car's going to function. Uh, and they take about an hour to teach you. And so you can go through and pick what you, how you want the car to function. And then you modify it over time. Uh, but really, it isn't the, the, the old dealership model. Uh, you do things online. You schedule service online. They come to your house if the car needs service. Uh, it isn't like what we're used to with uh, going in and haggling. And, and this is more like the Saturn model that GM tried to develop, which is one price. It's just this is the price of the car. And so you don't really need to negotiate with anybody. Uh, they have financing available. You can do your own financing or you can pay cash. It, they, they really don't care. Wow. Yeah, I, coming up on the uh, on the auction property, I mean, I spent my whole childhood learning how to negotiate. <laughs> I mean, because it was uh, just stock and trade of what we did every day at that car auction, right? We were, we as employees of the auction, often were, we were almost like brokering a deal between yeah. a buyer and seller. And right. uh, and I learned to negotiate there. I saw my dad and, and family negotiate for land, for horses, for cows, all the things that they they bought. Trading, as that my granddad used to call it, I traded for something. Uh, you know, and, and trading wasn't going to a cash register. It was it was the back and forth part of dealing but correct all that seems to be uh, gone away with this with this tesla model well you know we're down to the point where there's really only two things in life that i think people negotiate price on and that's a car and a house everything else you go in and you don't go into the grocery store and say you know i'll give you 25 cents for that bottle of milk that's just not the way it's done and people hate that i I spent a little bit of my career on the wholesale side of the business at GM because they expose you to everything when you're going through the co-op program. And, you know, people just hate going into the dealership to negotiate because they walk out, they're not sure they got a good deal. You know, did they pay more than somebody else paid? Uh, It's just a bad experience. And what Tesla and others have tried to do is just remove that. It's a price. You take it, leave it. But you know that you paid the exact same amount as the guy who came in behind you. Wow. And it seems to be working for them. I mean, I mean, we still have, you know, a tiny slither of auto sales, uh, you know, that that are, you know, going to electric cars. But it seems like millennials uh, and and those coming behind the millennials are 
more interested in this model of purchase. Right. It's it's so much simpler and it's less combative. Uh, and they're beginning to dominate this market segment. The Tesla Model 3 in particular is more than half of the car sales in the midsize luxury car that you'd see Volvos, BMWs, Mercedes. Uh, they're dominating that market. Don, uh, there, there are 48 cars with a plug this year. There'll be more next year. Uh, you've seen these EVs evolve over the last 10 years. I mean, what? I mean, it's, I guess it started with that GM EV1. Yeah. Was that the first one? Yeah, it was the first one. There, there were Of modern age? Modern age and built in volume. There were a lot of test vehicles preceding that. There were onesies, twosies. Uh, we had little. We had vans that would, GM developed. Uh, we had Chrysler vans. They were all. You just didn't. They were not volume production. When GM went to and started developing to sell the EV1, particularly in the California ZEB mandate states, the zero emission vehicle mandate states, uh, that was the first attempt at building in volume. That volume then meant three or four, five thousand cars. It wasn't a lot of cars. Oh, what was the ZEV mandate? What 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 was that exactly? Uh, I'll go back to about 1990 when GM showed the vehicle that was called the Impact. It was the first electric vehicle they said they were going to build. When GM showed that at the LA Auto Show, California came together and said, well, if GM can do this, we're going to make everybody do this because we don't see a way forward to clean up the air, particularly in locations like Los Angeles, without going to a zero emission vehicle like an electric, where you remove the emissions from the vehicle and transfer it to a power plant, which is more regulated, and it's not located downtown, where the air quality issues were. The federal government allowed California to have its own set of regs. It was called the 49 state rule. Everybody else had to be the same. California could do its own thing. If another state wanted to adopt it, it could, but it had to adopt the California rules in total because they really only wanted two sets of rules. Otherwise, we would have 50 sets of emission standards, each regulated at the state level, which would have been an absolute nightmare. Uh, That came out in 92. Uh, It was by 1998, they were supposed to have built, I think 10% of their sales in California were going to be electric. However, uh, the dealers, the car manufacturers fought this tooth and nails and took all of the teeth out of it. It still exists, but there just isn't the requirements like there used to be. So I was told that the credit that Tesla gives for meeting this zero emission standard is they, that they're allowed to sell that credit, and they they sell it to companies like Jaguar or others. Right. Uh, how, do you know how that works? Well, depending upon the the, the year, because sometimes you get more than one vehicle credit for selling a battery electric vehicle, you accumulate these credits, and then the manufacturers who need the credits because they're not building the vehicles buy, have, buy them. And it's traded like we would trade uh, other items. Only in California, though. Or, or, or other in, states. Any other the ZEB mandate states. And oh, there's, need, some, yeah. there's approximately 12 states. Here in the southeast, I think the closest one is like Maryland. None of the other southeastern states. And whether Maryland is a southeastern state is a matter of conjecture. Those have value, and it's helping the vehicle manufacturers of building cars like Tesla and Nissan and others to uh, recoup some of their investment by selling it to manufacturers who need the credit because they're not building vehicles. So uh, if you're a manufacturer and you're not making electric car, Jaguar's making one now. Right, but, now. But, but, but before they were not making one, in order to sell more Jaguars in California, I have to offset my number of sales with these credits. zero credits that I buy from Tesla. Correct. Right. And, I mean, it seems almost like they're gaming the system with that. But, I mean, to your point, it is helping Tesla stay in business, yeah. right? It's, it's a good business model for them and also for California and the other states. They're getting this, the required number of vehicles in service because some manufacturers are selling a lot. The manufacturers are not uh, can balance it out. So the total number of vehicles going into service is the same regardless. I remember uh, at the dealership, and we'll wrap up this segment with, with this story, 
I used to order cars for the dealership, and you could order them with a California emissions package. We, of course, never did. But I remember my boss bought, bought about 30 Escorts, uh, Ford Escorts, that were orange, that had been purchased for some pest control company or something that they didn't need or they went out of business. And he got a deal on these things. And here they come in in a big truck, these 30 orange Escorts, all with California emissions on them. And that was the first time I'd ever seen that. So a, a, a little bit bizarre. Well, look, when we come back, I want us to dive in this study that I teased earlier, these 10 top insights for EVs in the auto market that we have from Cox Automotive. So stick around. We're going to talk about that. Follow us on Matters Radio, Twitter. I'm at Tim Eccles. We'll be right back. You're listening to Energy Matters. Gas South believes in the difference we can all make, like the difference in putting people first and showing that you care. For us, our difference is saving people money with our best rates and no deposit. And the difference we make in our community by taking care of our friends and neighbors and giving back 5% of our profits to help children in need. Learn more about what makes us different at GasSouth.com. GasSouth. The difference is good. Creative Solar USA is a Georgia-based turnkey installer of innovative solar panel systems. They're dedicated to energy solutions for both your home and business. With their NABCEP certified installers, they ensure their clients receive the highest quality of solar energy systems in the industry. Contact CSUSA today at 770-485-7438 or go to creativesolarusa.com. This episode of Energy Matters is sponsored by Velo Solar. Support for Energy Matters is provided by Velo Solar. Founded in 2007 by Mark Bell and Chuck Clark, over the years, Velo has designed, engineered, and built medium to large-scale solar projects all over the country. Velo has also designed and integrated a monitoring software platform called Power Info. Power Info smart grid software has the ability to measure everything in your building that either produces or pulls energy, solar, lighting, HVAC, air, water, even steam, allowing our customers to increase their energy efficiency. For more, click on velosolar.com. I'm Tim Eccles. I'm the host of Energy Matters. In the studio with me, Don Francis. He's with Clipper Creek, formerly with Clean Cities. Prior to that, with Georgia Power. Prior to that, uh, General Motors. And, and Don, can, he, can you even remember what you were doing before that? <laughs> No, not well. I was, you know, bagging groceries at Harris Teeter in Charlotte, North yeah, Carolina. I know what I was doing. I'm, I'm teasing, of course. So I was selling peanuts at my family's car auction before I got my driver's license, and then I opened a car cleanup shop, and uh, and then off to college, and then couldn't get away from the car business, and wound up uh, back uh, in the car business. So uh, I've got in front of me, Don, this study prepared by the chief economist from Cox Automotive. Cox Automotive uh, owns Mannheim auctions uh, around the country. So I think they own more auctions than anyone in the world. They know a lot about cars. They also own uh, Kelly Blue Book, Autotrader.com, of course, this station, WSB. They're everywhere. Uh, the AJC. Uh, you know, it is uh, really an incredibly privately owned company that's doing a lot of things, including we've talked about, we've had a whole show on Cox Conserves and some yes. of the things that they've that they've done. But let's dive into this study, Don. Why don't you, we're going to go through these 10 insights over the next couple of segments. Uh, why don't you start out with uh, number one? Well, what they start here is this is talking about the fact the auto market is large and complex. And with used vehicles are like 70% of the volume going on in sales. Uh, I didn't even realize it was that big a part of the market. Uh, and 56% of the value. In 2018, there were a little over 17 million new cars sold, but almost 40 million used cars sold in the United States. Wow. So the used market is 
you know, is the lion's share of it. And I guess it, it makes sense because you have a car for a new car for, say, four years, five years. You trade it in. It gets sold by the dealership as a used car. That person may drive it for three years. They sell it again. So you got the same thing being sold multiple times. Yeah, the, we, the data we've ever gotten out of the Department of Energy when I was doing the Clean Cities program is the average new car is in service about 22, 23 years. So a vehicle that's sold today is going to be out there well into the 2040s. Interesting on this statistic that uh, the you know the private party sales that would be say between me and you and yep. not me and a dealer is is twenty percent it's a fifth of the transaction so that's still uh, and and maybe that's where some of the haggling is happening Don right I'm selling you my car yeah you, you know, you're I, say, yeah I won't give you that Tim yeah you, know, you gotta you <laughs> gotta come down so so haggling lives on in in used auto sales I guess between between private parties interesting that fleet sales account for only three uh, percent of the volume new cars Don I had a chance to go down to the state of Georgia fiscal management council recently to make a pitch to the state for buying electric cars uh, because th- there really weren't any electric cars on the, on the procurement list. On the state bid list. Yeah, they've, they've since added many. the Kia Nero now and the right. Kia Soul, uh, and I'm trying to get the word out about that. But, you know, that that would be a, a game changer if fleets started to purchase electric vehicles. I mean, do, you, do you see a day when that's happening? Yeah, I mean, it's already beginning to happen. Uh, We've seen this with some of the municipal fleets. Not only has the city of Atlanta added electric vehicles to their fleet, Cobb County has, uh, DeKalb County has. The city of New York has just published a huge study on how much money they're saving by getting their uh, city vehicles changed over, if they were sedans, for example, changed over to electric cars. And it is phenomenal because they have a lot of data and i'm an engineer so data means everything uh, that shows how much they are saving and i think as more and more fleets become aware and and georgia power as you're aware has done a very good program called will it work will they come out and work with the fleet and say we can figure out how many of your vehicles could be replaced with an electric vehicle today yeah uh, and so the fleet manager and i used to work a lot with the fleet managers in the clean cities program can then get this data and go to his management and says, yes, we need to make the transition to electric vehicles, and here's why. Wow. Okay. Take us to number two. Number two. You know, the the market – sorry about that. The market is cyclical and tied to economic cycles. So uh, what they show here, no surprise, is the 2008 timeframe when we had the Great Recession, whatever you want to call it. Sales dropped off dramatically. Uh, down to under eight million cars a year. Wow! And there was a you know a lot of fallout from the manufacturers, plants that had to be closed, product lines that went away. Yet, if you see the line, the the slope of the line is positive, which means that we're buying more and more cars. But it has a tendency to do this sine wave, where it dips and goes uh, up and down depending on economics. You know, it looks like that we have not, and we'll we'll put this chart uh, on Twitter at Matters Radio for you to take a look at it, but it looks like we've never surpassed quarter three of 2001 uh, since that time period. So that was a, a huge time of auto sales there. Uh, and we're we're back getting close, but we're, we haven't reached that yet. You know, there, I see a lot of things going on here. Uh, having lived in this industry my whole life, because my dad worked for General Motors, my grandfather worked for General Motors, I've been a, involved with the auto industry my entire life. The vehicles we're building today are whole much better than the vehicles we were building 20, 30, 40 years ago. They last a lot longer. And I think what we're beginning to see is vehicles that are not being replaced because they're not being worn out. Ah. So the and you're keeping vehicles longer. Yes. They're yes. also a whole lot more expensive. The average new car in the US today is about thirty five thousand dollars. And that, and that's a significant amount of money. Well, and, and I guess with all the rideshare stuff going on and you know oh, yep, uh, and, and kid kids that aren't buying cars. They don't have cars. So we may we may never hit that high water mark again. There is some talk in the industry that as we move to the autonomous vehicles and rideshare, that the market will dry up. 
Wow. Because people like you and I who are beginning to get into you know our senior years, we may continue to drive, but our mileage is going to go down. But our kids and our, my, our, my grandkids will come along and say, oh, I don't need a car. I'll just share a car with somebody. You know, you think I think about these guys that rode Atlanta during the Petit Le Mans. They have a Corvette Corral out there. You can pay a little extra and park with all the Corvettes. Most of the guys driving Corvettes, they're old guys like us. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you don't see a lot of young guys driving these Corvettes. Uh, so. No. Well, A, you had to be financially, have the financial wherewithal to buy a seventy, eighty thousand $80,000 car. It's something you've always wanted your whole life. And once you get to the point in time where you can financially do it, you would do it. And yeah. I know a lot of guys that are 50, 60 years old buying their first Corvette. Wow. All right. How about number three? Number three, they're talking about uh, you know, how much variety there is in the product. And if you look at this pie chart, the biggest market segment of all is the compact SUV crossover, which is we're beginning to see all the manufacturers build this vehicle. Man, that's 17% of the market. Yeah. And then the next biggest mar- size is the midsize SUV crossover. 16% of the market. And then we get down to the full-size pickup, which is 14% of the market. Interestingly enough, luxury cars are a bigger volume than compacts or midsize cars. So this segmentation of the market and as the market changes, the manufacturers change their build assembly, what they're manufacturing, what their product lineup is like. And you see everybody moving to the SUV, both mid and compact size, as well as pickup. Some of the manufacturers said, we're not going to build passenger cars anymore. Well, interesting, too, they give the average price of yep. these cars. So the average electric vehicle price, $31,000. And let's just take these two other categories. The average compact SUV crossover, $29,400. Right. So just below the electric vehicle. And then if you look at the average luxury vehicle, that's $63,000 yep. average price tag for luxury vehicles. Yep. So great chart. We'll pop this up. Uh, on Twitter, it matters. And what Radio. I don't don't know, Tim, yeah. did, uh, is this reflecting the tax credits that are available, or is this um, manufacturers? You know, I MSRP? doubt. I doubt it. I doubt it's reflecting tax credits. So um, that but, would make the electric vehicles even cheaper. Yes, because they're still most of the manufacturers still have a seventy five hundred dollar federal income tax credit. Yeah, so folks can get that seventy five hundred dollar tax credit on electric vehicles that are not Teslas and 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 Chevys, right? Yeah, because they've exhausted they've exhausted their the two hundred thousand car limit. You still got the credit going for the Kias, right? Right, and, or for, the Nissan Leafs and the Nissan Leafs. And and the Chrysler Pacifica uh, that's out there, that minivan, if you want that. And, of course, uh, the Porsches, all the German cars. The Jag I-Pace that's now available. Yes. All right. How about number four? Number four. You know, this is interesting because they talk about what is going on nationally in the EV market. And we see here that the hybrid vehicle market share, although it went down, from 15, 16, and 17, it started back up in 18. That's the traditional hybrid, right? Yeah, that's the, the Prius the technology. Prius. Yeah. And yeah. now almost all the manufacturers are building a hybrid, not only in a passenger car, but you see it in vans and you see it in the crossovers. Uh, you see it in some of the luxury vehicles because th- this technology allows you to have a significant impact on emissions. And fuel economy, which is cut. If you improve fuel economy, you cut CO2 emissions. They're directly relatable. Well, this chart's fascinating to me because it shows that plug-in hybrids, the demand is going down. And that's the very car I thought that would be going up. So, but... You know, but but it's not. We'll pop this chart up on Matters Radio well, as, and I, as I well. Did, and I think what this reflects is the fact that Volt is no longer being manufactured. Ah. Well, stick around. We're going to finish the other six of these as we come back. I'm Tim Eccles. You're listening to Energy Matters. Tim Eccles here for Solar Sun World. No doubt you've seen solar panels popping up all over Georgia. If you want the precision of German engineering when it comes to solar, Solar Sun World is for you. The folks there understand the complexities of solar and how to make it work. From tax credits to inverters to accelerated depreciation, they'll unpack it all. They've been in business for over 25 years. To find out more, go to SolarSunWorld.com. That's SolarSunWorld.com. 
Hey, it's Commissioner Tim Eccles, host of Energy Matters. I want to tell you about Kevin Rowe and Rowe Insulating Company. If you need insulation anywhere within 60 miles of Athens, Georgia, you need to call 706-795-2854. It's important, isn't it, John? It is the most important thing you can do in your house. It's the low-hanging fruit of everything that we talk about on Energy Matters every single week. That's exactly right. Yeah, call 706-795-2854. That's 706-795-2854. Rowe Insulating Company. Get comfortable. Energy Matters would like to thank GasSouth for its support of the show. GasSouth has a no-deposit policy and offers some of the lowest per-therm rates in the state. Use the promo code MATTERS for a special deal. GasSouth, the difference is good. Support for Energy Matters comes from BMVW Auto Sales, the only place to get your used electric vehicle in Metro Atlanta. Mosin and his staff will loan you an EV for three days to try it out, and you won't be disappointed with the deal that you get there. Check out his new solar canopy while you're there. See more at ev-hybrid.com, ev-hybrid.com. Well, I'm Tim Eccles, the host of Energy Matters, and I'm in studio with Don Francis. Uh, Don, formerly with Clean Cities, he works for... Uh, Clipper Creek, a charging company now, worked for Georgia Power, worked for GM, and we're we're going through a Cox Automotive study about electric vehicles. And Don, uh, we've gone through five of these, and I think it's appropriate as we kick off this segment, just briefly recount to us this this tax credit that we had in Georgia that was eventually $5,000. It actually started way back around the time that the uh, the GM EV1 was introduced. That, so take us through the history briefly. Uh, and I was around during this period of time at working on the project at uh, Georgia Power, but the original bill was passed in the 98 legislative session, which gave a $1,500 tax credit to alternative fuel vehicles. It could be not only electric, but natural gas, propane. That were being operated in the non-attainment area. That hey, was the- think about this. The Olympics were here in 96. Yeah. We had all those Crown Victorias that uh, Atlanta uh, Checker Cab was running. Right. So, uh, so they those were natural qualify. gas. Yeah, yeah, natural gas. Right. The EV1, right? So we there was a lot, of, those. A lot yeah. of buzz about alt fuel back then, wasn't it? And that's kind of what was driving this in, because the city had always been, the metro area had always been in non-attainment for air quality issues. And the legislature was trying to say, well, what can we do? We had taken thoughts to them and saying, well, we have all these alternative fuel vehicles that are cleaner than diesel or gasoline coming. Let's incent the retail purchaser to go out and buy these vehicles. And that's how this originally got done. And I noticed that on that bill, it was leadership. It was Tom Murphy. It was Jimmy Skipper and folks that are old timers will recognize those as Democratic leaders when the Georgia House was controlled by the Democrats. Right. It it Um, was bipartisan in those days because we we knew we had a problem and we had to take action. Otherwise, there were penalties from the federal government on being in non-attainment. Over the years, that tax credit was approved in uh, the 2000 session. It was moved up to 2500 but still only for vehicles in the non-attainment area. And, and I noticed the sponsors of that was three Cherokee County Republicans right. led by Chuck Scheid and Steve Stansel and uh, and Mr. Penholzer. Uh, so they, they were all from Cherokee County, kind of shocking. And I guess they were just helping each other out. And then again in 2002, right? Yeah, then in 2002, what became the final version of the tax credit, it was moved up to $5,000 for electric and 2500 for propane and natural gas and it applied to anyone in the state regardless of where you lived you got the same tax credit but there was there was nothing to buy though there was no tesla there was no nissan leaf there was no bolt there was no volt there was nothing well it during this period of time we were doing something which we called euphemistically you know build it and they will come Uh we were developing infrastructure for charging refueling stations for natural gas vehicles for propane vehicles Assuming that once we did that, the vehicle manufacturers would bring vehicles to Georgia and start selling them. That didn't happen. And if you've ever seen the movie Who Killed the Electric Car, about 2004 time frame, the the ZEB mandates were overturned in California. The uh, U.S. vehicle manufacturers rubbed their hands together, said job well done, crushed all the cars and left. And everything was just sitting here. Wow. 
So there you have it, the history of, of the Georgia tax credit, but then it was eliminated in 2015. Correct. And by then, the EV market had ripened, right? Uh, we had that Nissan had Leaf. Yeah, we, we did Leafs, have product. We had Volts. We had quite a few vehicles. You had the Tesla Teslas. Roadster. You had the Tesla Model S. Correct. And folks were really taking advantage of that. Well, let's jump back into this Cox survey. Uh, we're going to blow through the remainder of these items. Number six, Don. Well, yeah, I think what's interesting here is the show, the growth in the market. Uh-huh. This is from Bloomberg, and what they're uh, saying here, and they're very conservative. Of all these studies I have seen, Bloomberg is the most conservative. They're saying by 2040, half of the vehicles being sold will have a plug on them. And that means that the 17 to 20 million vehicle market will be 10 plus million plug-in vehicles, primarily battery electric with a few plug-in hybrids. Uh, and that's kind of a game changer when you start bringing vehicles in in large numbers uh, and, uh, to what it, the impact it will have not only on air quality issues, but what our utilities need to do, uh, what the state regulators need to do to accommodate the fact that half the vehicles out there need to be plugged in. And it, and it shows that we've got some time. I know a lot of folks that believe it's going to be much quicker than that, but this is a more conservative approach. Yeah, there's only about yeah. 1% of the cars in today being sold in Georgia have a plug on them. Yes. Uh, I have seen studies which said this is a 10-year event, that 10 years from now, half the cars will be electric. I don't think so. I, I, I tend to agree with this study. It's going to be 2040. How about number seven in the Cox report? Well, this is interesting because they this has an, uh, shows what the consumer interest has been in the vehicles, uh, and what how much of the new car sales are now battery electric on a nationwide uh, basis. We're now approaching two and a half percent of sales nationwide, which means in some parts of the country, like California, it may be ten percent, because here it's one percent. But it's now people are more aware that the vehicles are there, that the charging stations are there. Uh, their neighbors have them, so they talk about the vehicle they have. So I think this is this will continue to grow, uh, get bigger and bigger, as well as awareness will get better and better. All right. How about um, how about number eight? Number eight is. Yeah, this is interesting. It has always been one of those things that was a concern to us uh, when we looked at this is the concentration is in the five metro counties. Of, uh, we're talking Georgia here. Yeah, of Georgia. Right. And those yeah. are those, those, those are the, those northern counties, yeah, Forsyth, DeKalb, Fulton, Fulton, Cobb, Cherokee, Gwinnett. Yes. That's where the cars are located, primarily because of the cost of the cars. That's where the folks who could afford cars like that live. And it, there was also some advantages because you can uh, use the vehicles in the HOV lanes uh, at single occupancy. So it, 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 they were commuters in electric vehicles. It made a lot of sense. I think one of the things we've been focusing on lately is what's going on south of I-20, uh, particularly with uh, Mr. Trutzi out at BMVW, you know, there's vehicles now available, used vehicles at a really good price. Yeah, and don't forget about that Cox Pivot facility where those 50 lift yep. vehicles, uh, those 50 electric lift vehicles, that's south of I-20. They're doing a lot of charging down there. It's giving a, it's giving a lot of opportunity for Southside folks to experience an EV, not to mention the 10 rides a day that they're that they're giving. How about right. number nine? Number nine is uh, the demographics. This is very interesting because I'm an, out there on the end on this demographics. But the, the typical owner is 35 to 45, and he's making more than $100,000 a year. I mean, you, it makes sense because these are, have not been very inexpensive vehicles to date. That's changing very rapidly. But if you look at who would be have the financial wherewithal, have the interest in it, uh, it is skewed to older and higher incomes. Yeah, I'm, I'm noticing that the biggest, the biggest age demographic on income is, uh, is that 17% of them make between $125,000 and $150,000. So that, that makes it kind of a rich person's car. 
it, it's always been accused of being that, but it, it's this is how this market will grow. Everything that always starts at the top end. Just think of what a LED television set cost ten years ago. You know, now there's I can't remember. I saw an ad for one on this, you know, Black Friday, and it was three, four, five hundred dollars, and they were three or four, five thousand dollars ten years ago. Same things happening here. You've got to start somewhere, and it's the people at the higher end that can afford to spend money that will drive the market down so the cars become inexpensive more inexpensive over time and that's exactly what's going on let's look at our last one uh number 10 and that has to do with range which is uh, frankly you know a a stumbling block for a lot of folks on these cars it has been and i think uh you know vehicles you know i've had two leafs before my tesla and they were under 100 mile cars and you had to think about you know which car you would use i'd driven my leafs up here had to charge to go back. Uh, but now I don't think about range anymore because the car will do more than 300 miles. In that segment, you know, look, it's we're 300 to 400 miles. Uh, you no longer think about range anymore. And everybody's moving to that uh, because the price of the batteries are coming down dramatically over the last 10 years so that you can still build an affordable car, which goes 250 to 300 to 400 miles. I always ask the question, how far is enough? I, my good example is I drive my car to Savannah. I don't need to stop to charge, but I still have to stop in Dublin because I can't go that far without stopping. <laughs> so when I gas car, I stopped in Dublin. Electric, I stop in Dublin. Well, we, we've made a lot of progress with EVs, and this Cox Automotive Report is, is extremely insightful. We're going to post it at Matters Radio. Don, I want to thank you for your leadership through the years and just being a great citizen here in our state and all the things that you've contributed to. Thank you so much. You're quite welcome, Tim. Glad to have been a part of what has happened here. Fantastic. Well, you've been listening to Energy Matters, and energy does matter, and we talk about it every week on our show. Check us out at Matters Radio. I'm at Tim Eccles. Thanks for being a part of our show today. Hope you have a fantastic rest of the day. You're listening to Energy Matters. Gas South believes in the difference we can all make, like the difference in putting people first and showing that you care. For us, our difference is saving people money with our best rates and no deposit, and the difference we make in our community by taking care of our friends and neighbors and giving back 5% of our profits to help children in need. Learn more about what makes us different at GasSouth.com. Gas South. The difference is good. Everyone has tough times in their life. By checking the project share box at the bottom of your utility bill, you can make life a little easier for your neighbors. Your one, two, or five dollar checkoff is matched by the utility and then used by the Salvation Army to help folks having a tough time paying their energy bills. It's that easy. Join PSC Commissioner Tim Eccles and many others by donating via your power bills this year. See more by clicking projectshareinfo.com. And thank you. Are you ready to give your employees and customers smooth, secure digital experiences? Then you need Ping Identity as an identity security pioneer. Ping champions your unique identity so your employees can be productive rock stars and your customers can engage with your brand wherever and however they want with lovable digital experiences. I'm the chief identity champion and I'm here to help. Visit pingidentity.com today.